Well, the Zags dropped 115 points on the Portland Pilots behind Malachi Smith's 27 points, but the big story is the reported addition of a new player joining the team for the rest of the season. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. It is Mailbag Monday here on Locked on Zags. We are taking listener-submitted questions all episode long. Uh, For those of you who are new to the show, new to Mailbag Monday, want to potentially participate in the future, you can reach out to me on Twitter at AndyPattonCBB. Whenever you are thinking of a question, it does help if you tag it Mailbag Monday. Uh, You can also respond to a tweet that I post on Sunday morning soliciting questions. If you respond to that tweet, you will be sure to get into the show. And finally, if you are somebody who does not use Twitter or somebody who wants to ask multiple questions, uh, you can email me at andypatton013 at gmail.com, a great way to participate in Mailbag Monday as well. All right, let's get right into it today. This first question, two different people asked, Jackson27 on Twitter and A.U on Twitter. A new player was spotted at Gonzaga's practice via Zoom Diallo story, rumored to be Yajun Sok of the Korean national team. What do you know about him and his possible midseason acquisition? Yeah, that's kind of went around the the, the airwaves on Twitter a little bit. Uh, the Zoom Diallo, of course, visiting from Tacoma, a high-profile prospect in the class of 2024. He posted on his Instagram story a handful of pictures and videos from his time in the kennel. Uh, included in those pictures and videos was a new basketball player, somebody that we had not seen before, clearly seeming to participate in Gonzaga's practice. Uh, some sleuthing, some detective work seemed to uh, conclude that it was Yajun Sak, uh, who participated again, like we said, with the Korean national team in the U19s and the FIBA. Uh, I was able to confirm that he is on campus, and it does sound like he is going to be a player for this team going forward. Now, I would not expect that he is going to participate this year on the basketball court. I, I don't know whether it's going to be considered like a, a partial redshirt season, exactly how, how some of that logistical stuff would line up. My suspicion is that he is taking over the scholarship spot that was vacated by the departure of Martinez Arlauskas, who left last season, our last off season before this season began. So that's my speculation there. In terms of his style, his game, things like that, uh, I don't have a ton of information. I watched many highlight videos of him in that FIBA tournament uh, in the United 19. He's a six foot seven wing. Again, he's from South Korea. He was a monster in the FIBA tournament. He averaged about 25 points and 11 rebounds. So put up some really, really nice numbers. Uh, the video clips of him kind of show showcase a highlight real game. He's hitting outside shots. He's getting to the rim. Uh, drive and dish capabilities uh, look solid on the defensive end, although most YouTube videos don't show a lot of defense, so it's not necessarily something we can get a good glimpse of from him. Uh, he's he's an older prospect. He's 20 years old as of right now, so he's, assuming he doesn't play until next year, he's probably making his collegiate debut as a 21-year-old. Of course, Gonzaga has dipped into Asia in the past with Rui Hachimura being the most notable example uh, of a player coming over to uh, Gonzaga with, with Sock here. It sounds like he had initially planned to – he. 
He had left Korea University. He was coming to the United States. The, the expectation from some of the media outlets that I saw said they thought he was going to come over here and participate in the G League. Now, of course, it sounds like he's going to go to Gonzaga, a fantastic addition for the Bulldogs. Again, don't know a ton of information, but some some really solid numbers. A six foot eight fluid outside shooter. Uh, a guy who can do a little bit of everything. We'll hopefully get some more information about him in, in future episodes and, and learn a little bit more about who he is. But for right now, it looks like there's going to be a new player on the sidelines, on the bench, in the practices uh, for Gonzaga for the rest of the season. Again, my expectation is that he's not going to play this year. I don't really think there's a super compelling reason for Mark Few and the staff to to push him onto the court unless he's like extraordinarily talented and better than the players Gonzaga currently has. It can disrupt some some rhythm, disrupt the uh, the unity of the team right now. So that's my guess. I'm, I'm not 100% on that, but I would think that he's probably going to be a participant in practices on the sideline for the rest of the year and potentially be in line to play a bigger role next year, depending on how the offseason shakes out. All right, this next question here comes from Darren at HeavyDo44 on Twitter, who says, it was certainly nice to see Malachi's performance on Saturday. Thoughts on him averaging double digits and being the number three scoring option moving forward? Yeah, it seems like Gonzaga fans are, are really kind of hell-bent on, on having a, a, a linear group of scoring options, a number one option, a number two option, a number three option. And I just don't think that that's going to be a, the case this year. It's just not going to happen. Drew Timmy is the number one option after that. It just kind of goes up in flames. Julian Strother is the consistent number two option in terms of who you want to go to, but he's not going to be the consistent number two scorer every single game. And I don't think that not having a clear delineation of, of a clear order of operations for who's kind of the number two, the number three, the number four is really it's not how Mark Few operates. It's not how the coaching staff is looking at their team, looking at the the players on the court. Malachi Smith is a spot up shooter. Uh, he's a you know he's he's a bench player, not in a negative way. He's just he's going to continue to come off the bench. I don't think that is going to change, and he's going to have really good games, and he's going to maybe have struggles. We've seen that from him this year. He's been a little inconsistent. Twenty seven points against a not very good Portland team is great, and he shot the absolute crap out of the basketball. It was a really fun performance, but this doesn't make me feel way like all of a sudden he's going to surpass receiver bold and he's going to surpass you know even Julian Strother and be a more consistent scorer going forward I just don't necessarily see that we've seen him have really good games in the past and then go a week or three or four games in a row without doing a whole lot I think for the Zags there's two guards coming off the bench consistently one of them is a really really good defensive prospect defensive player in Hunter Salas one of them is Malachi Smith they're going to be used in different roles. They're going to be used in different situations. So I don't think expecting Malachi to be a consistent number three scoring option. I don't see that. I don't think that that's going to be the role that's asked of him. I think he's going to ask to be uh, to continue to be a spot up shooter and to continue to be a guy who 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 scores when he has the basketball in his hands. But I don't think he's like a, a primary scoring option. I don't think that's what he that I don't think that's why Mark Few brought him to Spokane in the first place. And I don't really see that necessarily changing. Could he average double digit points from now until the rest of the season? Yeah. He's averaging like eight and a half points right now. So he's pretty close to that. Gonzaga's already played a handful of their tougher WCC opponents. Still got two against St. Mary's. Not sure he'll get to double digits in those, but uh, yeah, I think he's going to be right around 10 points per game for the rest of the season. I don't think he's going to be the clear number three option. I just don't think there's really going to be uh, a clear kind of line in the sand for, for who, who Gonzaga is going to on a regular basis. Final question here. The first segment comes from at white chocolate on Twitter, who says being a few games in which development are you looking forward to seeing happen the most during the conference season? Recency bias has me wanting to see Malachi continue to be that spark plug off the bench bench as my number one development. Yeah. Again, I think that the bench being a spark plug as the primary 
kind of development is is accurate. I'm with you on that. I just don't think it's it's necessarily limited to Malachi Smith. I think the most important bench player for this team in terms of looking ahead this season, looking towards the future, to me, it's Ben Gregg. Uh, ben Gregg has been such a dynamic, low-post player this season in recent games, his physicality, his toughness, uh, and there's still some things he needs to work on. For me, the thing that I want to see, the development that I want to see most happen from now until March 1st or the start of the WCC tournament is Ben Gregg's consistency offensively. He's a tenacious rebounder. He's a really hard worker. He's going after every single loose ball. Uh, And yet offensively, we see a player who still occasionally makes stupid passes, turns the ball over unnecessarily, is hesitant to shoot when he's open, shoots when he shouldn't shoot. Like he's just still finding it. And that's fine. It, It happens. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen for anybody overnight or it's very rare to happen overnight. But I think that the best version of this Gonzaga team has a Ben Gregg who is that tenacious, physical, tough, uh, you know, diving after every loose ball player, but who is also takes better care of the basketball, knocks down open shots, takes the right shots, uh, is a little bit better as an on-ball defensive player, doesn't necessarily get trapped in screens as often as he does currently. Like that to me is the biggest development. Malachi Smith is going to be great, but he's going to be, I think he's going to be a little inconsistent. I kind of said that in the last question. I still stand by that. I don't know that he's going to be a consistent night in, night out weapon off of the bench. Hunter Salas is already the best spark plug off the bench this team has. He's better than both those guys in terms of being a spark plug. It's just more of a defensive impact than an offensive impact. I don't see that changing that dramatically. I think we've seen glimpses of his offense continue to improve and we will continue to see that. But for me, the biggest development that could happen this year for the Zags in terms of preparing them for March is Ben Gregg being a more consistent offensive threat and a better on-ball defensive player. And then also looking towards the future future, like outside of this season, Malachi Smith's not a long-term player in the Gonzaga program. Ben Gregg and Hunter Salas are, and Ben Gregg might step into a really big role next year. And so seeing that development happen from now until the rest of the season, I think is critical for this team, not just in March, but in 2023, 2024 as well. All right, more listener submitted questions coming your way, including an evaluation of St. Mary's resume this year. But before we get to that, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As a small business owner or hiring manager, you know that success in 2023 all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with the people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond resume data by using insights from your job post, company, and there are 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect with them fast and for free. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job's qualifications, all on one platform. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still any patent, still Locked On Zags. And I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Make sure to check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball, for your second listen today. It's everything you need to know about college basketball in one place. You can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. 
All right, again, segment two here, more listener-submitted questions. This first one here comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, how is St. Mary's still unranked? St. Mary's is currently eighth in the net ranking, and other than the SEC, the WCC is the only conference to have two teams in the top nine break this conundrum down for us. Christian, not alone in asking about St. Mary's, uh, at Twitter user Havilla Benjamin said, why is St. Mary's rated so high by the predictive metrics, Ken Palm and Net? Their resume is not terrible, but seems disproportionate to their rankings in the metrics. Do you think they're as good as the metrics claim? Ah, yes. I love that we have two entirely opposing ideas uh, or questions, I should say, about this St. Mary's team. Let's break it down for starters. I just want to put a a quick note here on the last question. Uh, Ken Palm and Net are not predictive metrics. Uh, They are are using actual data, actual game results to get the the metrics, to get the rankings that they have. So St. Mary's being really high in Ken Palm is not a predictive stat. It is because of the performance that they have put together. Um, So I kind of wanted to lead talking about that. In terms of St. Mary's, I think... We're looking at a team that has, they have a couple bad losses and they, I can understand looking at their wins and not seeing any extraordinary wins. And that's, that's a fair argument. But I think one thing to note, it's particularly about Ken Palm is it uses margin of victory. St. Mary's has blown some teams out. I mean, really blown some teams out and that really helps them. St. Mary's also scheduled a tough non-conference schedule. It's not as, you know, it's not as tough as Gonzaga's. Uh, And I think that that's one thing that I want to, be cognizant about like Gonzaga fans. I'm not going to tell anybody how to be a fan. If you absolutely hate St. Mary's, if you want to just bag them every single chance you get, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. That's totally up to you. But one area that that I'll, I'll say will rankle me a little bit is people criticizing their scheduling. Now there was times in the past where their scheduling, their non-conference scheduling absolutely deserved to be criticized. I will not pretend that that's not the case, but this team has worked really hard to schedule non-conference games. And they remind me a lot of kind of that, 2008 to 2015-ish period of time for Gonzaga when they were consistently in the tournament, consistently like a good NCAA tournament team, but they were still struggling to schedule those games. Even now, Gonzaga still struggles to schedule these games. This year was a rare exception where they really had a lot of high-profile games, but we've seen teams not willing to do home-and-homes because they don't want to actually play in Spokane. It's the same situation for Randy Bennett and the Gale. So what they did this year is they went out and scheduled a lot of good mid-major programs really good mid-major programs. Some of them didn't pan out to be as good a games as they would have hoped. Oral Roberts was supposed to be a better team. There's a couple handful of other teams in there. Colorado State, who they ended up losing to, that should have been a better opponent. New Mexico State uh, is a nice victory for St. Mary's almost every other season, but this year New Mexico State is actually winless in the WAC, which is extremely rare. So those, those kind of games hurt them a little bit. Uh, for St. Mary's, they have a really close loss to Houston, the best team in the country, like a five-point loss to Houston. That has really helped them. Uh, wins over Vermont, Missouri State, North Texas, Wyoming. Those are all not great teams, but they beat them all pretty handily. Not one-point victories there. They beat all those teams pretty good. And then they got into conference play, and they have just decimated everybody. 40-point win over Portland, which, you know, about the same as what Gonzaga was able to do. They beat San Francisco by 17, which is a lot more than what Gonzaga was able to do in that one. They beat LMU by 14, another solid team that Gonzaga is going to face here very soon. Again, the Colorado State loss hurt. The UW loss is horrible. That's a really ugly loss for them, and, and no doubt one that that is hurting them in the net and the Ken Palm rankings, even if it doesn't necessarily look like that. Uh, in terms of the eye test, in terms of myself, I've watched St. Mary's probably six or seven times this year. They're really good. They're really, really good. This is maybe the best defensive team that Randy Bennett has ever had, and that is saying a lot. That is saying a lot. This team is dangerous. They're talented. Freshman guard Aiden Mahaney is one of the best players in the WCC. He is polished. He's 
he looks like Tommy Cousy. He plays like Tommy Cousy, plays a little bit like Patty Mills. Like he's that level of good, and he's a true freshman guard. He's going to be scary good for the next couple of years in the WCC. I absolutely think this team is really, really good. Are they a top 10 team in the country? Probably not. Uh, should they be ranked in the top 25? Absolutely. Absolutely, they should be ranked in the top 25. We'll see if they are. Uh, I'm recording this on Sunday afternoon. So by Monday, by the time you're listening to this, perhaps uh, they are already ranked or perhaps the rankings have come out. But uh, I think this is a really, really good team. It's going to be a lot of fun to play them two, maybe three times this year uh, in the WCC. Next question here comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, the next three games for the Zags are LMU, Pacific, and Portland. What are the challenges and growth goals during the stretch? What is the possibility of adding a challenging non-conference game during one of the gaps during the WCC schedule? Zero uh, percent on that last one. That the Zags are not going to add another game to their calendar. I, I don't know if they can uh, in terms of the number of games that they played, and I know for a fact that they just won't. They're not going to look into doing that. It's a nightmare to try to schedule games this at this point in the season. Uh, COVID kind of created situations where we saw schedules being created and manipulated more on the fly, but it's not going to happen again. It's not going to happen this year. I think uh, it, when BYU leaves the WCC and assuming Gonzaga stays in the WCC, I think we might see them try to do that more in the future, like they've done in the past with the Memphis series and a handful of other games. Uh, in previous years, they played SMU in the middle of the WCC season, I think four or five years ago. Uh, but it's not going to happen this year for sure. In terms of these next three games, uh, I think really it's the same stuff Gonzaga has been needing to work on. Perimeter defense, especially in transition, is horrendous. It was horrendous against BYU. Uh, it, quite frankly, there was times against Portland where it wasn't good either. Portland just didn't knock down the shots they needed to knock down. Uh, Pacific and Portland play Portland on the road, so maybe that's a little bit tougher, although I, I, I plan to go to that game, so if anybody's going to that game, uh, let me know for sure. But also, it's, it's not necessarily going to feel like a home game for the Pilots. Pacific is, is a non-factor. They're not very good. Uh, but LMU is good. LMU is a good team. Like they're, they're not quite as good as Santa Clara, not quite as good as San Francisco, but you know, Gonzaga struggled in those games. They might struggle against LMU. This is a dangerous team. They're a very new look team. Uh, a lot of different players on this roster than last year. So might take some adjusting to figure that out. I think Gonzaga still got plenty of stuff to do uh, work to do. And while these games are not as challenging as the games they played in their first couple weeks in conference play, they're still going to present some challenges for the Zags. And final question of the segment. This one goes to at Twitter user dad risk who says, what is more likely, both Ben Gregg and Efton Reed start next year or neither starts next year? This is a good question. Uh, I'm going to say neither. And I think the more realistic answer is that one of them starts. But of course, that was not one of the options presented in said question. And I am going to listen to the rules of any question you guys ask me. So I'm going to say neither here. Um, Drew Timmy, Anton Watson, Julian Strother. All three of those guys can come back. I think it's generally being assumed that none of them will come back. And I am of that same belief. I think it's more likely that all three of them are gone than even one of them coming back. Like I think Anton Watson is, an, is in an interesting situation. He has an extra year of eligibility because of COVID. Uh, he's only really had one year to demonstrate himself as a true starter, a kind of the dynamic playmaking player that we've seen him be this year. We haven't seen that much from him. In theory, he could consider coming back, staying in Spokane, where he's, you know, he's from Spokane. He went to high school in Spokane. He's beloved here in Spokane. Come back, play an even bigger role next year, even if Drew leaves, even if Strother leaves. I could see that. I think Julian Strother's gone. I'd be pretty surprised if he came back. I've maintained on this podcast that while Drew Timmy could come back, I don't think that he will. I would have said that at the same time last year, though, so. Take that with a tiny bit of a grain of salt. But even if all three of those guys are gone, I don't know that both Ben Gregg and Efton Reed start. 
I think one of them starts in that situation and Gonzaga is going to go really aggressive in the transfer portal. And, and the best transfer bigs in the country considered Gonzaga last year. Every one of them was in consideration to come to Gonzaga last year. Part of the reason many of them uh, ultimately chose to go somewhere else was because at the time, Drew Timmy's status was uncertain. This year, that won't be the case. Drew Timmy will either declare for the NBA draft uh, or, or participate in the NBA draft combine, in which case his eligibility is gone. If you declare for the NBA draft three times, you cannot return to school. So that decision for Drew, which this year came at the, the 11th hour, quite literally, it cannot be that late this year. So when the transfer portal opens and these, these really high-profile bigs are available and interested in going to different schools, they'll know whether Drew Timmy is going to be at Gonzaga next year or not. So if he's not, if he's going to go to the NBA, if Strother's announced he's going to the NBA, I think that you're going to see some of these high-profile bigs consider Gonzaga. Mark Few is going to reach out to those guys. So I think that creates a situation where – Probably a transfer big and Ben Gregg maybe start next year. Of course, if Anton comes back, then those guys were both in reserve roles, which is kind of why I'm leaning towards uh, it being a more likely scenario where both these guys come off the bench. I think both these guys being bench players, but in more featured roles, Ben plays maybe five more minutes per game. Efton actually has a role instead of being a guy who just periodically plays. He's actually playing consistent eight to 10 minutes per night. I think that's very possible. What that means for Gonzaga's other bigs, Caden Perry, Braden Huff, very hard to say at this point, way too early to really know for sure. But I think both Ben and Efton are going to have big roles next year. I'd be surprised if both started. Uh, I think it's more likely that both of them are in bigger roles, just both coming off the bench. All right, well, the WCC season is obviously in full effect. Listeners have more questions about the conference and the Gonzaga women's team. We're going to get to all that but before we do. Today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are fully back in action while the NFL playoffs are just now getting underway. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Right, segment three, still any patents, still locked Zags. We're still hammering here through Mailbag Monday. When this question here comes from Jeff via Gmail, Jeff says, is it possible to have a WCC road trip that is more difficult than the three straight WCC road games Gonzaga just went through? It seems the only way it could have been more difficult would have been to replace at San Francisco or at Santa Clara with the game at St. Mary's. Yeah, St. Mary's is tougher than all those games, every single one of them. On the road against St. Mary's is the toughest game Gonzaga plays in the WCC by a lot. And at BYU is always tough. Even if BYU is not as good as some of the other teams uh, this year, I think there's a argument that BYU isn't as good as San Francisco and, San, and Santa Clara. They sure looked like they were as good as those two teams uh, in Gonzaga's game. But playing at BYU is tougher than playing at San Francisco or Santa Clara. That place is huge. It's loud. It's popping. That fan base is enthusiastic, energetic, screaming the entire game. To me, that is the second toughest game Gonzaga plays in the WCC all year long, but nothing compares to at St. Mary's. It's a small, intimate venue. You can call it a high school gym if you want. That's what a lot of other people do. Uh, but that place is absolutely popping off. That is a really, really challenging game. Gonzaga's got them twice this year. That game at St. Mary's is going to be really, really tough. 
I mentioned it in a previous question already, but that St. Mary's team is really good. There's a reason they're in the top 10 in the Ken Palm and the net rankings. Uh, there's a not a good reason why they are unranked. Uh, whether you believe they're a top 10 team, they're definitely a top 25 team in the country in my mind. And they're going to give Gonzaga absolute hell when they play in Moraga later this year. Next question here comes from Miguel at Mig the Squid on Twitter, who says, in your opinion, is this the most battle-tested Zags team we've seen thus far? Yeah, I think this is an interesting question. Uh, recently, yes. In recent years, the last, I will say since I've, since I graduated, 2013, in the last 10 years, is this the most battle-tested Gonzaga team? Probably. But when you go back 15 years, 20 years, when you go back to the early times when, when Gonzaga, when quite frankly, the talent level at Gonzaga just wasn't what it is now, when they were, they still played some tough games. They still played some tough non-conference games. And I think at the time, those teams may have been arguably as battle-tested as this Gonzaga team. It's hard to compare. I mean, we're talking about 20 years ago. It's a different era of basketball, quite honestly. But uh, yeah, this year's team, so many tough games, true road games. I love that they've had some challenges on the road. The Texas game, of course, was not a particularly close game because Gonzaga got absolutely boat raced in that one, but it was still a good environment. That environment leads to them playing in Birmingham, not a true road game, but a pro Alabama crowd without a doubt. And Gonzaga goes in and drops a hundred points on what is likely by the time you're listening to this in number two or three, maybe even number one team in the entire country in the Crimson Tide. So uh, the road game at BYU was a tough one at Santa Clara at San Francisco. All those were tough, challenging games. I think we've seen this team respond well to adversity. They came back and won a game against Michigan State. They came back uh, and played, you know, obviously came back and won against BYU, San Francisco, and Santa, uh, Santa Clara. All three of those games were really tough ones. Uh, the Alabama game was a nice back and forth affair, and they managed to secure a victory. Really, the Baylor game was a tough, close game that they didn't win, but I think those, those kind of games helped them too. This is a team that's going to be ready for March. They're going to be ready for those kind of challenges, for loud crowds, for coming from coming back from deficits. They're going to be ready for that because they've experienced it this year. And a lot of teams in previous years, obviously Gonzaga's team that went all the way to the national championship, they hadn't lost a game. So does that mean that they were more privy to lose a game to Baylor? I don't know necessarily. I think Scott Drew just had a really good game plan and they executed it really well. But it's nice to see this Gonzaga team has already dealt with that. Maybe they can respond better if they face that in the NCAA tournament. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Final two questions from Jeff here. He says, what can you say about the fact that game after game, when the game is on the line and plays have to be made, Gonzaga has delivered every time except for the game against Baylor. The moments have not been too big for the Zags, and that seems like something that would be highly beneficial come March. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I think a big part of this, too, that's really encouraging is seeing different guys step up. They're not going to the same players. One thing that is a concern for Gonzaga, quite frankly, that a, a concern that I think they have kind of pushed away a little bit in recent games is having a big man be your primary scoring option, especially late in games, is hard. We saw it with Purdue, Zach Eady, when they lost to Rutgers, some of the games that they've had trouble down the stretch. It's hard to have to go to a low post player at the end of a game. For Gonzaga, in the recent games, they haven't needed to go to Drew Timmy. They did in the San Francisco game. He missed the shot. Rasir Bolton cleans it up, gets the Zags a victory. Santa Clara, there wasn't as many, like, final second heroics, but Nolan Hickman was huge down the stretch in that game. And then, of course, the BYU game, Julian Strother stepped up in a massive way, knocked down a back-breaking three with 10 seconds to go to give the Zags a victory. The fact that other players are stepping up 
And it's not the same other player. It's not Drew Timmy and one other guy. It's Drew Timmy, but it also might be Julian Strother. It might be Rasir Bolton. It might be Malachi Smith. It might be Nolan Hickman. Like that is huge for this team going forward. Of course, Drew Timmy is still the number one scoring option. Of course, when the teams are starting the scouting report, that's what they're going to talk about first. And it will always be that. It will always be that for the rest of the season. But right now it's hard to pin down who else on Gonzaga's team is going to step up. And I think that makes this team a dangerous team when they get into March. Final question of the show. Again, another one from Jeff here via Gmail. Jeff says, on Saturday, the Gonzaga women had a pretty impressive showing in their win at Portland, previously undefeated in WCC play. Did we just see the game of the year in WCC women's basketball? And is there any stopping of the Gonzaga women in WCC play other than the home game against Portland and possibly at BYU to end the regular season? Are there any other WCC games that the Gonzaga women could possibly lose? Every single game the Zags play for the rest of the season, they could possibly lose. I do not think that this Gonzaga women's team is heads and shoulders so much better than everybody else in the WCC that they're just going to roll through it without any challenges. Are they better than every other team in the WCC? Yes. Are they the clear number one team in the conference, especially after beating Portland? Yes. Should they be favored in every game going forward? Yes. I just, it's not as it's, I I don't see it being at the same level as like, you know, Gonzaga as the men's team two years ago when they just beat every single team that they played until they got into that national championship game. I think this team has, we've seen them deal with injuries already. Hopefully that is behind them, but obviously injuries can play a role. Uh, Brenda Maxwell has been incredible. She's been shooting over 50% from deep, one of the best outside shooters in the entire country. But if she has an off night, that can create some issues for Gonzaga. Trunk Twins have been fantastic. Bonnie Ejim has been fantastic. But I just see, I don't see a situation where they're just impervious to any losses for the rest of the season. Portland at, on the road, or Portland at home, uh, in the kennel should be a victory. Obviously, that's a good team. They're going to be ready for it. At BYU is always tough. Even if BYU is down this year, they're not the same caliber of team. I think it's possible that the women's team goes undefeated for the rest of the season. I really do. Uh, and I think that puts them in a situation where if they go undefeated, they also win the WCC tournament. We might be looking at a, a four seed, you know, something like that. A, a few a, a few bumps higher than maybe they would be otherwise. But I, I don't think it's anywhere close to a foregone conclusion that this team's going to win every game the rest of the season, even though, you know, the LMUs and the Pepperdines and the Santa Clara's of the world aren't necessarily on Gonzaga's level. Uh, it's the biggest game that they have every single year. They got that game circled on the calendar starting back in like June when the schedule came out and they're going to be as ready as they possibly can. So it'll be interesting to see how Lisa, Lisa 48 squad responds to being having a target on their back for the rest of the season. But uh, this is it's been a really fun season for the women's basketball team, and that's going to continue from now until we get into March. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Plenty more fun content coming your way later this week. Also, I want to thank you all again for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen, make sure to check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. It's hosted by myself and co-host Isaac Shade of Locked on Tar Heels. It's everything you know about the college basketball in one place. You can hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.